0: Hey everyone, welcome to The Anxious Pineapple, a show dedicated to getting curious about our good friend anxiety. My name is Kayla Chorley, your host and anxious therapist. A friendly reminder that this podcast is in no way a substitute for therapy and does not constitute therapeutic advice. This is simply for informational purposes only. I encourage you to follow up with your own therapist or medical doctor for professional support and advice. Hey friends, and welcome to another episode of The Anxious Pineapple. As always, I'm so thankful to have you here with me. Today, the lovely Aisha Shabazz joins us to talk about the world of perfectionism, how it shows up for many of us, how society promotes it, and questions to reflect on in regards to its role in our lives. Now, I have to say this topic is so personal to me and I really appreciate this topic because my anxiety shows up as perfectionism 99% of the time. I've definitely done work around this and I'm better at catching myself in those moments where I know my perfectionism is going to shine, like even recording this podcast or writing a blog post or creating some sort of content for social media. My perfectionism loves to shine at those times. And I find myself sometimes stuck in loops when that happens and like paralyzed. I can't do the thing. I just stop in my tracks and then I don't do anything. Um, But I've gotten really good at kind of getting out of those loops. And I know what Aisha is going to share today is going to help you do the same. So if you identify as having perfectionist tendencies like me, this episode is definitely for you. We're also going to touch on the topic of decolonizing mental health and asking the most important question, why? Why do we do what we do? Is it really as inclusive as we think it is? Can things be done differently? This is such an important topic as we work together to become anti-racist. Now, before we get started with today's episode, let me tell you a bit about Aisha. Aisha R. Shabazz is a licensed clinical social worker, therapist, career strategist, and solo private practice creator. Aisha established a mental health private practice called In Real Time Wellness that offers individual and group therapy to socially conscious and creative teens young adults, and human beings who are seeking to relieve anxiety, release insecurity, and build confidence. Through her consulting firm, she serves marginalized mental health therapists and helping professionals who are striving to offer high-quality care to their client and patient populations without sacrificing their own health and well-being in the process. Addressing not only the impact of employee exploitation, toxic working environments, and burnout that occurs in the helping industry, but also offering practical guidance on how therapists and helping professionals can creatively use their unique technical skills to expand into entrepreneurship. Her business enterprise is value-based and founded on the principles of diversity, equity, and inclusion, decolonization, anti-racism, and mindfulness. All right, let's do this. Hi, Aisha, and welcome to The Anxious Pineapple. It's so nice to have you here.
1: Hi, Kayla. It's so nice to be here
0: i am really excited to have you here today aisha to talk about perfectionism because it's certainly something that continues to show up in my life i've certainly done a lot of work around anxiety but if i had to think of anxiety in terms of how it shows up for me it's a hundred percent perfectionism and i hear all the time from my peers and from clients this constant striving to appear flawless or perfect and always kind of setting our sights on the next thing or the biggest thing or the best thing that we can achieve. And sometimes that leads us to feel this massive amount of pressure. Absolutely. So why don't we start with the basics? Like what is the actual connection between perfectionism and anxiety?
1: Sure. So I think it would be important to define the terms first before bridging the connection. Mm-hmm. So in my eyes, perfectionism is it's one of those complicated things because it cannot be obtained it's almost as if there's this carrot in front of you and someone says, reach for it. And the closer you think you're getting towards reaching towards that carrot, it gets further and further away from you. So I always like to remind people that perfectionism is an unattainable goal. You you will never reach it. And someone who defines themselves as a perfectionist is someone who is like, plagued with the burden of, I I just have to try. I have to reach for this goal, this aspiration that is unattainable. Mm -hmm. Someone who is experiencing perfectionism, they might say like, there's only one way to do this, or there's only a limited number of ways of doing something the right way. Mm -hmm. And so this idea of reaching for the right way, the only way, is very limiting. And the stakes are so high, because if you do things the wrong way, there's this fear of ridicule. There's this fear of embarrassment. There's this fear of, you know, no one will accept me. And so the stakes are high. And that's why this loop of, I just have to keep trying, because if I don't, the consequences will be dire. For anxiety, and the way that I talk about anxiety with my clients is that anxiety is excessive worry and excessive worry to the aspect of it is, it does not match the level of worry that you have does not match the situation that you were in. And by definition, excessive worry could be very different for somebody else. So it's not, burdensome for someone to think about like, oh, what should I eat for dinner tonight? Mm -hmm. But someone who has that excessive worry might over worry than somebody else. Does that make sense? So it is in relationship to, it's not one definition of what's excessive. There is not one definition of that's too much. It's in relationship to the person that's experiencing that anxiety moment
0: so it feels like perfectionism is very different than just having high standards like high standards okay Maybe we have really difficult goals that we want to achieve, but it is possible to reach them. Whereas with perfectionism, we're chasing that invisible goal all the time. We're just never going to get there. It's impossible. I love that image of the dangling carrot because I'm thinking about how many times I've dangled that in front of myself. And it's probably a lot. Um, And then I hear you say that anxiety is highly individualized, so it really depends on the person and the situation. Two people could be in the exact same scenario or be facing the same question or challenge, but depending on how they feel about it or, or their outlook on it, one might be completely anxious about it and the other might be completely calm. So it sounds like there's kind of a connection between the two, that they're both kind of fear based. Perfectionism, you mentioned this idea of essentially feeling like the world is going to crash and burn if we don't achieve that goal.
1: Yes, yes. And that's how oftentimes anxiety feels too, is that the world is going to crumble if I don't resolve this issue. And so that's where the one of the connections is, is the the high stakes and dire feeling between the consequence of not achieving perfection and the consequence of not relieving the anxiety. Mm -hmm. The other connection that I see between the two of them is the sense of urgency. So the sense of urgency of having a threat. Danger is a threat. And so anxiety is... A reflex that every single sentient being on this planet experiences mm-hmm. anxiety keeps us safe it is the thing that says do not cross the street when the light is green only cross when it is red right mm-hmm. um, green meaning go for you <laughs> um <laughs> and and red meaning red for you right mm-hmm. um and so When we are in these situations where there's this sense of urgency, I feel I'm in danger. I need to get out of the line of danger. Perfectionism also does the same thing where there's a sense of urgency where I have to get it right now. Mm -hmm. There is no other time other than now. And that puts us in this pitfall of Not teasing out opportunities that could happen in a different way, not teasing out opportunities that could happen tomorrow instead of today, five minutes from now instead of right this second.
0: Yes, that sense of urgency is huge. I hear this all the time. I'll be talking to a client or like a friend and they'll be like, oh man, you know, like I should already know how to do that. Or like, I just started something new, like a new skill, but like I should already be good at it. (laughs) Um, So I don't always hear it in the sense of like, I need to make a decision now, but I also hear it in the sense of like, I should be there now. I should already be ahead of where I am. And that's got to be a lot of pressure for a lot of people to already be perfect at something right away. Now it's interesting um, this idea of a time loop like that because I sense that that sense of urgency. Often leads people to feel really anxious when they have to make decisions right away or they put this pressure on themselves to have everything figured out right away. I could see that fight flight freeze response really like latching onto that and being like, yeah, I'm going to pump up some adrenaline for you so that you can handle all these decisions and all these things that you need to get done. And so I see the connection there between the two and how they can egg each other on in a sense.
1: Absolutely.
0: I really want to talk about the connection between perfectionism and society because I feel like society really perpetuates perfectionism. It like encourages it. I think about social media and how we present ourselves and show up in that space. We try and look flawless and perfect and like, hey, here's our lives. We're going on vacation 24-7. We got lots of money. We got lots of love. And um, I, I think about that quite frequently. I'm curious what your thoughts are and how you think perfectionism and society kind of play a role together.
1: So I think from
0: a practical standpoint,
1: society reinforces perfectionism as the end all be all. We are socialized to achieve for the highest, the biggest, the best, 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. And so we see this often in school settings and in work settings. And sadly, most of our human life is spent in school or in work. Mm-hmm. So from a school setting, it's attendance, those perfect attendance awards, right? How much stress and anguish have we been through where it's like, our parents are like, you gotta get up, you cannot be late for school again. You cannot miss the bus again. You have to be on time. You have to be in your seat ready to go and you cannot miss another day of school or else all of these like, consequences will happen. You won't get the certificate at the end of the marking period. You won't get to go to that pizza party that everybody goes to that has perfect attendance, right? So we're already starting very early on how important it is to be perfect and infallible. The other aspect of school is grades. And regardless of what grade you have entered into, I don't think anybody ever experienced like like overwhelming positivity when they saw that they didn't have like perfect grades. Right. Mm-hmm. So now there are some households that are like, Oh, it's okay. Like you don't have to get straight A's, but if you did get straight A's, like, Oh, that was a huge achievement. It was like, yes. you excelled to the utmost. And so when we are starting at a very early age and then socialize throughout our lifespan to say, perfection is valued very highly. It is a positive thing mm-hmm. that gets us in hot water. Yes. When we're trying to say like, Oh, I'm noticing that perfectionism is wreaking havoc on my life and I want to combat it. Well, that's going to be a very difficult feat because a majority of your life you've been told that perfectionism is the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, on the work side, It's arriving on time, right? You cannot be a minute late. You have to clock in on time for those people that have to clock in for work, right? My boss is at my door five minutes before I'm supposed to be at work. So I have to make sure I'm there early, not Mm -hmm. just on time. But the same doesn't apply for leaving work, right? If you are that go-getter, that overachiever, guess what? You stay late. Mm -hmm. beyond the time that you're supposed to leave work. You don't leave on time, that shows that you're a slacker, like that you don't care enough about the work in front of you. The people, we're socialized to believe that the people that get promoted are the people that are, quote unquote, dedicated to their work, that work through lunch, that stay late, that work nights and weekends, that don't take holidays. Mm -hmm. And so when we're starting in school, And then it's being reinforced year after year. And then we enter the workforce and it's being reinforced year after year, right? Those performance evaluations that are like, oh, you know, you're such a team player. And that's being reinforced by the fact that perfectionism was ruling you this entire time. How is it possible for you to combat that huge piece of perfectionism is the way to go when you know internally that it is, causing you so much grief and anguish.
0: Absolutely. I think you summed it up so nicely. Like you mentioned, perfectionism is often a gatekeeper in our society, right? If we think about what you need to get to post-secondary, well, you need near-perfect grades. (laughs) Um, I certainly didn't at the time when I went to university, and I don't even know if I could handle it now. Um, knowing that you need a 90% average to get into a nursing program or an arts program. That's huge. I also think about how we praise people for their perfectionist tendencies at work. It's like, man, I can count on you. You never make a mistake on a report. You're never late, etc. And so society, I feel like really, really Um, plays a role in how we see perfectionism as a society and how it shows up for us. So what do you do with clients when they come to you and they're like, hey, Aisha, you know what? I've been dealing with perfectionism for so long, but I want to untangle it. I want to look beyond it. Where do you start? How do you work with a client around that? What should listeners do uh, to kind of encourage themselves to, to move away from perfectionism? So first I ask
1: questions always because mm-hmm. whenever you're in a position to help someone, you never wanna assume that you're the expert. Even if it, mm-hmm. you spent years and years studying, you've read tons and tons of books, you have went to conferences, you've done talks and presentations, you never wanna assume that you're the expert because you don't know what it's like to live that person's life. You don't know what it means, like, how are they defining excessive worry? What, what I think might be excessive might not be even cutting it close for somebody that I'm working with around their anxiety. And so asking questions is the, is the first step always. And then I don't stop asking questions throughout our time together because the more information that we have, the more likely we are to get in front of all of the myths and the lies that anxiety is telling us along the way. If we are trying to combat something and we're not asking questions and getting curious, it's highly unlikely that we will come to a state of clarity and a state of confidence and how to accomplish the relief that so many of my clients are seeking in their
0: lives. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So it sounds like getting curious is a big part of this process, And understanding how perfectionism shows up for each individual. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes.
1: Now, once we ask tons and tons of questions like, what does perfectionism look like for you in your life? How have you been praised for this behavior or action? How have you been punished for this behavior and action? Then we kind of go down this road of like, well, what what do you want your life to look like? And then we start using that creativity the same level of creativity that we used for the parade of horribles that like if i don't do this thing perfect this is what's going to happen so we transform that creativity from the unpleasant and we bring it over to the pleasant and then that's where a lot of people get stuck because it's that limitation it will never be pleasant It will always be unbearable. It will always be anguish. And so that's where a lot of the work comes in. It's the the creativity of can things be different? Can we do things differently? Is there an alternative to what's going on right now? And then once we can break through that, which is in in my client work, that's where a lot of the work happens. But once we break through that, then that's the easy part then it's the, okay, what systems can we put in place to not fall into the same perfectionism traps that we have in the past? And then we just test drive those things. Okay, so between now and the next time we meet, I want you to try all of the things that we talked about Mm -hmm. and then see what sticks. And if trying all of the things that we talked about is too overwhelming, then we say, okay, let's whittle that down to three and then pick one. Yes, And if that's too overwhelming, we say, okay, why don't you think about trying one of the many things that we discussed today? Because we don't want to push things too fast, because then we're tapping right back into that sense of urgency that anxiety and perfectionism loves to feed on. So when we're trying to create this alleviation in our lives, we want to make sure that we're doing the opposite of what is activating the problem to begin with. So with anxiety and perfectionism, if it's sense of urgency, we want to be able to slow things down. And I believe that slow and steady wins the race every time.
0: (laughs) Yes, I like that. I appreciate what you're saying about using creativity here because I think a lot of us use creativity to come up with these, you know, worst case scenarios or the world's going to end type ideas, but we seldom use it for the opposite, which is to really think about what would we want our life to look like? Is there more than one way to do this? How can we do this that feels good for us? And so I appreciate your perspective there. It feels very much like using creativity for good instead of evil. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And as people begin to move away from perfectionism, what do they usually want their lives to look like? So
1: one of the most common things I hear is they want to feel relief. So oftentimes with perfectionism, it feels like they're bound up. It's really restrictive. So this the opposite feeling of being bound is being free, like having that liberation. And they might not necessarily go as far as saying, I want to be liberated from perfectionism, but they do talk about feeling relief. I want to have things more, it's so hard because when we talk about relief in comparison to something, it's imagining that you know what relief feels like, right? So that sometimes is even hard to get an answer to. It's like, well, what, what would that feel like? What is the opposite of what you feel? It's like, I don't know what that is because I felt this way for so long. Yeah. And so the work around that is finding the words to describe how they feel and then literally doing a thought exercise and saying, well, what would be the opposite of the word that you just gave me? Mm-hmm. And then once we get to the opposite of the word that they gave, like bound up, what's the opposite of bound? Oh, free. Okay. What would it look like if you were free? Oh, well, I wouldn't obsess over the words that I'm going to say in a meeting at work. Okay. What words would you use? Well, I don't know because, you know, my boss is so. <sighs> Like, they just frustrate me so much that I, I, just, I just know the words that I have to say, but I don't know the words that I could say because there's no other option. So then we go back. Well, who is someone in your life that speaks as though there are other options? Like, Do you know anybody? No, I don't know anybody. Everybody is the way that I am. Everybody feeds into this perfectionism mechanism. Okay. So then we go even back to the creative and we just say, okay, What music do you listen to? What television shows do you watch? Who we need to get it anchored in that there are people that exist that don't have this same way of being, living, doing, seeing. And once we can make it a tangible thing, then that's where we go. So when someone feels like, I don't know what relief would even look like, that is, my imagination is not that grand to think about that. Then we go back to the things that are tangible. And sometimes it is the fictional characters that they're consuming. Sometimes it is the celebrity. Sometimes it is the neighbor down the street or the aunt that lives across the country, right? I always like to encourage people to know that even if you don't have the words for what you're feeling today, that doesn't mean that you don't deserve relief. And that's another piece is that sometimes people feel like they don't deserve a different existence
0: that feeling of feeling like we don't deserve that is huge like i think when we think about perfectionism in a sense it's because we are constantly being hard on ourselves so to think that we could even deserve something outside of that is difficult yeah
1: i don't feel like i deserve it and i don't even know what it would look like even if you showed it to me on a silver platter i wouldn't recognize it at all and so sometimes people get discouraged in that. It's like, well, this is the way it's just going to have to be forever and always. Because I'm in this place where I don't have the answers. Mm -hmm. And so holding space for our clients is so important because we want to make sure that we're not feeding into that fear of failing. You're not failing by being curious. You're not failing by asking questions. You're not failing by not knowing the answers right now. And again, We have to dismantle all of the things that perfectionism is telling us. We have to dismantle all the things that anxiety is telling us. And once we can break those down, then it gets a little bit more hopeful that relief is possible.
0: So I'm thinking about my own practice and I know clients will bring in their perfectionism into session. And I'm curious if that ever shows up for you. So clients want to come off a certain way. They want to make sure that they appear flawless, even in session. So they might hold back a little bit. How do you work with clients that bring perfectionism into session with them?
1: Yes. Yes. It's very common. And I have to remember and we all have to remember. So for those therapists that are listening, we have to remember that we're not immune to our client's way of navigating the world. Like just because I'm a therapist and they're in therapy doesn't mean that like all the stuff that they carry with them is going to be non-existent in our session. They're bringing that stuff with them. That's why we're having this time together, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to see what that perfectionism looks like. We want to see what that anxiety looks like in the session. We don't want any pretending. So anytime someone feels like they're holding back, we talk about it. Like, "Oh, I noticed that you're not only early for your appointment, you're like early like by 20 minutes. Let's talk about that." Mm-hmm where else in your life do you show up earlier than you're expected to, right? We don't use it as like a, well, that's odd. Ah, Okay, let's talk. How was your week, right? It's all of the details that we're looking at to see how the client is showing up in session is most likely how they're showing up in their life. And so if we can break those things down a little bit and call attention to it, get curious with them, then we can get to a place where we can start. I always also encourage my clients to give me the unedited, unfiltered version of what they're saying. So if I notice that they're holding back, like if they share with me that they have a difficult boss, I'm like, yeah, you know, they're just like really difficult. You know, they just, they just give me a hard time. I'm like, okay, what's another way of saying difficult and giving me a hard time? Because I'm not getting enough there. Oh, well, you know, they just like, you know, they are just a They're just a pain. Okay, what does that mean? And I keep probing and probing. I'm like, give me the unedited version because your boss isn't here. It's just me and you and I'm not gonna go back and tell them. So tell me what is really on your mind. And that permission of, oh, I don't have to be buttoned up in this space. Oh, okay. I'm gonna really tell you what I feel about this person. I'm gonna really tell you what I think. I'm gonna really tell you what I wanted to say but I didn't. And that is important for us to pay attention to. If mm-hmm. someone is presenting in therapy or feels like they have to overfunction in therapy as like, I can't be too messed up, right? Like air quotes. Mm-hmm. I would challenge you to say, well, why not? Why can't this space be the one space that you can just let it all go?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If this isn't the space, do you have any space to do that? You deserve that. You deserve to let things go. You deserve to be unedited, even if it is for an hour a week. Because every other experience that you have is so confined and rigid. You don't have to be that way in this space. But it takes trust and it takes time to build up that Mm -hmm. safety because they don't, again, it's the consequences. It's what's at stake. If I show myself fully in this space, you're gonna judge me. Yeah, you're gonna reject me, you're gonna say I'm too much for you. I'm too much even for my therapist, I can't Mm -hmm. be Mm -hmm. my full self. Yeah. Right? So we have to combat all of those myths that are wreaking havoc Mm -hmm. on our clients lives. So that is the best way i think to combat perfectionism as it shows up in the room and you can notice like the things like i mentioned showing up super early instead of on time um other things are over apologizing Mm -hmm. that is a manifestation of perfectionism for a lot of people oh i'm really sorry okay I appreciate the apology but can you explain to me why you're apologizing again asking a question getting curious what is behind that apology why do you think you deserve to like bring your hat in your hand and say like I'm so sorry what are what are what is the dynamic that's happening here
0: It's funny, as you say all those things like showing up really early and apologizing, I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, that is me. You are talking about me right now. (laughs) I know this is why I've chosen to really focus my practice on anxiety because it's something that's very personal to me. It's something that I've experienced. And I hear a lot of different therapists say that they essentially build their practice on their own experience. So things that they have gone through, um, for example, like trauma background, they might work with trauma. Um, so I'm really curious, is this something that you have experienced? Is this personal to you, perfectionism and anxiety? For me,
1: talking about perfectionism and anxiety is important for me because as someone who identifies as female, it is very clear to me that people who are socialized as female are held to a different standard. I identify as African-American. So as a person of color, I'm held to a different standard than others. And that in and of itself being perpetuated over eons is very hard to fight against. And yet our society values perfection. Our society values people that have it all together. And so there is no room according to society for us to be other than that strict rigid definition. And so When we talk about therapists setting up their practices in such a way, I talk with a lot of people, my clients included, about what it would look like to decolonize a lot of these societal norms and a lot of these institutions so that we can come at these big issues from a different angle. And if we look at it from a decolonizing lens, it externalizes it enough to say, oh, that's really messed up. Mm -hmm. I think I could do a little bit better with this. And over the past couple of years, I know that more people have been asking themselves, like, well, how can I do better? And I'm a firm believer in, we have to ask, well, why is it this way to begin with? Before we can say, well, I'm gonna do better. Well, what are you doing better with? What are you doing? If you're not asking those questions first.
0: Yes, that question of why is so important. We have to understand why things are the way they are before we can figure out what to do next and how we can make things better. I completely resonate with you when you say you identify as a female and as such, our role generally is to be perfect. I mean, if we think about um, society and females in general, we are encouraged to look a certain way or behave a certain way. And to be seen, we have to be near perfect, right? I also understand that cultural piece. A few weeks ago, I had Dulce on the podcast and she was talking about how perfectionism for her when she first arrived to the United States was really a way to kind of blend in and fit in with others that she was new with. Yes, for any community
1: who has been disenfranchised who has been manipulated into thinking that they're not good enough any community member at all that has been othered is in this position of well I have to do this one thing perfect and if I don't the stakes are too high and I cannot risk that Mm -hmm. and it's difficult for us to combat these things because they're so deeply entrenched and you know, some people might be listening and thinking like, well, what does that even mean to decolonize social norms and to decolonize institutions? It's complex, but then it's also very simple. It's not easy. Like there are many steps, there are time that it takes to decolonize. But what it truly means is that we're looking at who does this benefit? Why does it benefit them? And who is it leaving out? Those are the questions that you're asking yourself. It doesn't have to be this big social experiment. It doesn't require you to do you know, exhaustive research and go and get a PhD to say like, oh, I am decolonizing, right? It doesn't have to be that. There are resources and I'll share them with you, Kayla, so you can share them with your listeners and the show notes, but there are ways to conceptualize what decolonization looks like and one of the resources that I use is from a wonderful writer, Tima Akun, who talks about decolonization in a within the lens of white supremacy. So we're looking at systems of oppression, decolonizing systems of oppression so that we can find more liberation there. And the, the, some of the themes that come up is sense of urgency, perfectionism, There's only one right way to do things, either or thinking. And if we look at these characteristics, we're seeing like, oh, that shows up in almost every aspect of our lives, right? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't necessarily have to be this big, heavy thing that we're looking at. Like, what do you mean? I'm going to tackle systems of oppression? Like, that's too much. I can't. Patriarchy, misogyny, you know, Mm -hmm. all the phobias, right? I can't do it. Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be that. If we just pick one sense of urgency, where does that show up in your life? And the beautiful thing about the writer's um, resources is that they offer antidotes Mm -hmm. so that it's not just painting the problem. It's also offering like, here's some things that you could try. And so I believe that in having things be very simple, then it allows us to ask those questions more comfortably. And then we can say, okay, I'm gonna do better. I'm gonna try to do better. And this is the area that I'm gonna try. And that's all we're really asking when people come to therapy is, can we try to do things differently so that you can have a different life experience? And for the people that I serve, it's I wanna feel more relief. Mm -hmm. I don't want anxiety to rule my life. I don't want to feel burdened by this idea that everything has to be perfect all the time. And I want to feel more confident in my choices.
0: Yes to all of that. (laughs) I so appreciate you sharing that with us because I feel like that's a, a topic that we often don't address in mental health, but really needs to be looked at in any sort of sense, not maybe even just mental health, but any, anywhere that we are, we can ask those questions, reflect on that, and say, is what we're doing truly inclusive or not? I'm wondering if you could explain a little bit more about this sense of urgency and how that plays a role in perfectionism. So oftentimes
1: when we're talking about perfectionism and anxiety, the sense of urgency is i don't have enough literally i do not have enough time to think about alternative options this needs to be decided on right now i need to act right now and there are some of us that have lifestyles work settings specifically that we have to make decisions in the moment it is life-altering decisions that some of us are making. And so that makes sense why someone would feel a sense of urgency in some settings. It's not necessary to feel that way all the time. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about preparing a meal, oh, what do you want for dinner? I don't know. What do you want for dinner? Oh, I don't know. And then all of a sudden it's like, would you just pick something? Is it super urgent that we decide right now in this moment, what's for dinner? Maybe because you're hungry and you haven't eaten all day because you skipped your lunch. Or is it nine o'clock in the morning and you're wondering, well, what's for dinner tonight at six, right? So it's the relationship of time with the decision-making that I'm always curious about when it comes to the sense of urgency. And always, what are the consequences if you don't make this decision in the time crunch that you're putting yourself in. Another way that sense of urgency shows up is this idea that if we don't make the decision, then the consequence is irreparable. So similar to how we were talking about earlier, if it is an irreparable consequence, then that is forcing me to have to make a decision sooner rather than later. And again, some of us are in situations where we do have to make decisions sooner rather than later or the consequences dire. But Mm -hmm. we don't live that life 24-7, 365. Mm -hmm. And so if we can take an inventory of the time that we spend in this cycle of sense of urgency, you can see like, oh, maybe I don't need to decide what I'm eating for dinner at 9 o'clock this morning. Maybe I can choose at lunchtime. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe I don't need to do the thing that I always do. Maybe I can choose a different option today. Or maybe I'll think about it today and make a decision tomorrow. So creating more time and space around decision making is a lot of how I work with my clients around sense of urgency is like, do we need to make that decision today? Can we spend more time around contemplating what's at stake and then get back to it later. And that is sometimes a very like painful experience. It's like, ah, no, we need to do this now.
0: And it's like, okay, then we'll address it now. Yes. That sense of urgency around decision-making I imagine is a major player in anxiety, right? It would increase that fight flight freeze response. You would essentially be always heightened in terms of how you're feeling, maybe some cortisol running through, maybe some adrenaline running through. So, I imagine that would really perpetuate that anxiety perfectionism cycle.
1: Yes, yes, because anxiety is telling us that there's danger ahead.
0: Mm-hmm. And if we don't make the perfect decision or perform perfectly, then that danger is going to come true. Yes. You really got to love those perfectionism anxiety loops. We sometimes get caught up in. (laughs) So Aisha, before we kind of wrap things up, I'm curious, is there anything else you would like listeners to know about perfectionism and anxiety?
1: Yes. Yeah, so one of the ways that I think we can improve upon is being kinder to ourselves. So oftentimes, when we're thinking about what could be different, then this like inner critic shows up and it's like, yeah, no, things are never going to be different. And we torture ourselves bully ourselves internally. If we can practice being more kind to ourselves, then it is more likely that we will expect the rest of the world to be kind to ourselves, to us. Mm -hmm. And it starts internally, the kindness. So if we can say, you know what? I'm not going to beat myself up that I stuttered five times during my workplace presentation. It happened. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to beat myself up that I showed up five minutes late to work. I'm not going to beat myself up that, you know, I had spinach in my teeth during that lunch. Mm -hmm. Because it happens and I'm a human being. If we can get ourselves to be more kind, I think that will take us leaps and bounds in this pathway of trying to overcome perfectionism and in this pathway of trying to get anxiety relief. So Mm -hmm. when in doubt, think about, can I be more kind to myself in this moment? Anxiety propels us in the future. It's always asking what if this could happen, that could happen, but they haven't happened yet. So coming back to the present moment and just saying, you know what, how can I be kind to myself in this moment right now?
0: Could you even imagine what would happen if we showed ourselves half of the kindness we show to others? Like what a world change that would be.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that self-love, that self-compassion, it does take time to cultivate. And for those that are working through anything in therapy. I always think that it's a good opportunity to talk about where is self-love and self-compassion in that process.
0: Absolutely. I am a huge fan of self-hugs. (laughs) I feel like I need to make a t-shirt that says like free self hugs, but that's kind of my jam. Like if we can connect with ourselves, if we can show ourselves some sense of compassion and kindness, that is huge, absolutely huge. And that again, like I said before would make such a big difference in our lives.
1: Yeah. I think that is the ultimate goal. I like and that. if we can start with the end goal in mind, then we know where we're going because people that experience anxiety in and intense way, they want to know where they're going. Like, what is the point of all this? If you say it's to be more kind to yourself, who's going to argue with that? Yeah. I don't want to be more kind to myself. I just want to bully myself every day.
0: Like no <laughs> one's saying that. <laughs> You're right. I've never heard someone say that they don't want to be kinder to themselves. <laughs> So before we kind of wrap things up, is there one last thought or one last um, mention you want to leave our listeners with?
1: Yes. So I would encourage you to be curious about where you can be more creative in your life. That is bringing about more feelings of love and more feelings of opportunity for things to be different.
0: Thanks for listening. I hope you learned something today about your own anxiety. If you have questions that you would like answered about anxiety on this podcast, connect with me on Instagram. My handle is at Pineapple Therapy Y-E-G. Enjoyed this podcast and want to help make mental health more accessible? Spread the love by following it, liking it, rating it, and taking it out for dinner. <laughs> Just kidding.